Good morning. morning. I certainly uh, hope you did not come to hear me, because if you did, you're going to be really disappointed. Thank God there's coffee. (laughs) Um, So before we begin, let's just open in prayer. Father, we come before you humbly. I come before you humbly, Lord God, and I ask that you would give me your words. I ask for the Holy Spirit to lead, Father, my heart and my mind as I speak. Father, because this is not my topic, this is your story. It's a serious one. It has uh, grave implications and grave consequences. Father, I ask that you would uh, impart to us, Father, truth this morning. We pray for your anointing as we learn. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when Brad asked me to teach on this subject, I, w- I was t- kind of taken aback, and I thought, well, I get, I, sure I will. Um, I'm by no means an expert on uh, creation or evolution. I teach middle school science. That would be pretty much my only claiming credential. I'm not an expert. And this, to be clear, is not an exhaustive account of the verses. Um, this is almost, if, if there was an actual legitimate scientist, and maybe there is, I don't know, a geologist or an archaeologist or a paleontologist sitting in here, they'd probably be aghast at my just almost inappropriate oversimplification of the topic. But in order to condense it into, well, I thought I had an hour, so I got 30 slides. I figured two minutes, so we're, we're already behind schedule. But anyway, it, it was almost, you know, uh, too much to fit in, but I'm going to do my best. So I'm not an expert, I'm just going to outline what God's Word says. I'm going to try and outline the science um, and synthesize the two, um, but the ultimate truth is God's Word, okay? So I titled this The Origin of Origins because we're going to take a look at the origins, but the origins of where they came themselves. We obviously have a a chimp playing chess. This is kind of where we, you know, evolution is, is... Uh, pointing towards there's intelligence and this is where we came from but that we know that god's word says otherwise uh when i got asked to teach on this i kind of thought it's almost a a topic that's been kind of like said to set to rest right not that um there's not differences creation of have their side evolutionists have their side when i ended college was back in the early thousands i debated my professors then on the issue, um, but the science at that time, there, there were some limitations when it came to what we're going to find out as neo-Darwinism, and basically you had this side saying this, you had this side saying this, and there, there, you couldn't definitively make a case for or against the other one. I'm going to tell you today that you can definitively make a case within the last 15 years for evolution, 100%. It is ironclad. There is no coming back from it. That does not mean that it's going to change the institutions or change the people who attest to it. But I can tell you that its own discipline of science has put it to bed. Okay. Whoops. Can you go back one slide? There we go. So, we need a... Uh, when we're dealing with science, we need some baselines, some foundations. So let's talk about creationism and evolution in their basic kind of forms. 
What is creation? Well, Merriam-Webster, 1982, says it's to bring something into existence. We know that creationism is a belief of faith in God in which God created the heavens and the earth. That's found in Genesis 1.1, recorded as inspired scripture by Moses. The mechanism of creation, so what was the, what was the, you know, the principle of happening is supernatural and it's designed. In other words, there was purpose, there was thought, there was logic into how things were created. And its mechanism was supernatural, it was not natural. And that supernatural obviously came from creator God. Creationism is antithetical to Darwinian evolution. Now, I say Darwinian because, Darwinian because uh, the term sometimes can get a little mixed around. We're going to look at a spectrum today. Um, and you might find that there are some things that we would call evolution that actually fit into creation, but I don't like using that term because I, don't, I think there is a stigma with the term, and that kind of causes us to feel there's a stain on the word creation when we use it in conjunction with evolution. But bottom line is, creationism is an antithetical. It is not congruent. It does not agree at all with Darwinian evolution. So what is Evolution. Evolution, in 1982, this is the dictionary I still have in my classroom, is to develop or work out or change complexities over time. Fast forward, uh, you know, about 40 years, I think, if I'm doing the math correctly. And the current definition basically just comes out and says it's to derive or pr produce through natural evolutionary process. So we're not even making, giving a pretense of just, we're just coming right out and saying it. Evolution as a theory and I italicize and underlie that because that's what it is, it is a theory, was popularized by Charles Darwin. He was not the originator of it in the sense of the idea, the beginning idea, but he was the popular scientist who made it basically common in households and in uh, scientific journals and in the science community at large. It's an explanation for explaining the complexity of life, not necessarily the very beginning but how things branched into complex organisms and systems. Variations, type, abundance. Its mechanism is natural selection. That would be called classical Darwinism, okay? Because we're going we're gonna to take a look, if we have time today, that basically classical Darwinism used only these small changes over time. Natural selection, you have a variation in color or beak size, something to that effect. And we found out, well, science found out later that it just doesn't work. Darwin's original classical theory just does not work. The time frames, even in the flawed carbon-14 dating, do not work. And so we had to come up with a new one, and that was called neo-Darwinism, which we're going to look at. And that was the, the mechanism was mutation. So we have small changes over time, and then whoop, we got a big jump from a mutation. And that's how complexity changes. Darwinian evolution is antithetical. It does not agree with creationism. So what is science? Science this is the Oxford. And by the way, I have uh, references in the beginning here. As I went down through, I just was running out of space to put these on. I meant to put a reference page at the end because I gathered a lot of information from a lot of sources, and I did not. And that is a big no-no when quoting other people, but um, you'll have to forgive me. Science is a systematic study of the structure and behavior of the physical and natural world through observation and experimentation. That's what science is. It is a process of discovery. 
So let's talk real quick about the common buzzword we've heard lately about the science. That's been floating around for about, well, probably a little longer than a decade. It was used prolifically when it came to climate change. Well, the science, and you're a science denier. It was tossed around loosely, and everybody started using it. But then it hit hyperdrive in the last two and a half, three years. We know for reasons why with the pandemic and um, things having to do with uh, social issues. There is no such thing as the science, if there's like a holy almighty version of science. That's just not true. If someone says, well, you just don't believe the science, you can tell them there is no the science. Science is a process. The science at the time told us that the earth was at the center, but a, a geocentric solar system rather than a heliocentric, which means sun at the center, and they threatened Galileo with death. He had to recant it. He was like, okay, well, I'm just telling you, we're not at the center. But if you oh, just, you know, that was the science at the time, okay? The science back in the 1960s was that mutation was possible, okay? Genetic mutation could provide the stair steps to major complex changes. And we're, I'm going to tell you today that the science, okay, does not. And that's because there is no the science, there's just science. It's a process. Observational science is testable. This is what most scientists do with physical, concrete things. They can work in labs. They can manipulate variables. You have predictable outcomes. You know, you start with a question, the scientific method. You do research and hypothesizing. You develop an experiment. You carry that out. You analyze the data. You write a conclusion, and that has to be repeatable by scientists throughout the world. The scientific method is a universal language so that scientists, okay, uh, and Hungary can compete, can uh, compete, can uh, complete the same process from South America or North America. But we're not talking about observational science today. We're talking about historical science, which is relatively not testable. Now, are things we can test? Yes, but the actual science is looking in history analyzing, collecting data, and trying to make an inference, an educated guess on what that means, okay, and propose theories or explanations as to how things came to be, okay. We're going to take a look at the spectrum of explanations, but uh, this is kind of how Gary Larson put it, okay. So if we look up here, we've got but it's a far side cartoon, two of them. On one side, you've got the evolution of man, and we've got a parenthetical bracket for a two-foot string, I don't, two cups of something, I don't know, a flashlight. That is over top of the square root of a cat, parenthetical of your age squared over mass, and it looks like E equals M squared, equal, equivalent to a chicken, equals earth. Okay? Now that's kind of... That's not uh, that inaccurate, actually. Okay, on the other side, you've got God, who's rolling some clay, and he's like, man, these things are a cinch. He's making snakes. So obviously, God makes the snake, and that's pretty easy. And that kind of defines our spectrum, if you want a humorous example of it. But here's the real spectrum. On one side, we've got neo-Darwinist evolution, which is the, the modern version of evolution, uh, clear on the other side, you've got young earth creationism, and then there's a variance in between, okay? Let me check my time. Uh, 
So neo-Darwinists, I've told you, they believe in the small changes and in the mutations. That's the mechanism. Classical Darwinism is just that the small changes develop over time, and that's what brought about the complexity of life. Deistic evolution is the theory that there was a creator, a, a, a deist being, who kind of wound it up in the beginning and then set it, and there's not much else that you can do. This would also be kind of considered Darwinian ev uh, evolution. He was a deist. He ended up becoming an agnostic, all right? But he was a what you would call a deistic evolutionist in the beginning. Then there is a theistic evolutionist, and that is that they believe mostly in the mechanisms of evolution, but that there was a, a design creator, but that that creator still works within nature. You can see fundamental principles being developed and changed by that creator. Then there's old earth creationism that have trouble most let me put it this way. The biggest obstacles to creationism is really the fossil record. If you want to look down, that's where most of the obstacles come from. The genetic science, it completely, almost absolutely supports creationism and refutes evolution. But then there's the process, well, did that happen over a span of 4.5 billion years or did it happen in 6,000 years as the biblical account reads. And then there's young earth creationism, which obviously is just Genesis 1 through 2, 7. So, I hope you brought your Bible. We're going to give it a workout today. Go ahead and open up to Genesis 1. I didn't put a marker for Genesis 1, but you would have thought it would be easy to find. We're going to read through this account, okay? As one of my favorite Bible teachers says, I love reading the Word of God because every word is good, which when I speak it may not be. So this says, Genesis 1-1, the history of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So evening and morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And he gathered together of the waters. In the gathering together of the waters, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree, amen to that, that yields fruit according to its kind whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit 
whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth and the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves within the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas And let the birds multiply on earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every er green herb for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So in the evening, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens of the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord made the earth and the heavens, before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, And there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face 
of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust from the, of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Amen. So, the Bible is a library of 66 books. The very beginning starts with creation of heaven and earth. And we're not, we're not going to get to this. Maybe if I have to turn this into two parts, we will. But Revelation 21, we will have to definitely turn this into two parts. So I apologize. Some of the juiciest stuff we will not get to today. Uh, but Revelation 21 ends... Right with the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I'm not going to develop this, but there is a lot of debate on whether that means this earth will like explode like the Death Star and a whole new one are gonna, is going to be created, or whether uh, the word basically passed away is, is similar to human nature when you become a new creation in Second Peter. So perhaps this earth will be refined by fire. We know that there won't be any seas because that's the account of Peter. There will no longer be any seas. Okay, but it's interesting that both ends of the Bible are bookended with creation of a heaven and an earth. Okay, so the war versus the battles. There's a war going on. It's in our society. Creation touches everything, right? Uh, our institutions, our education, the value of human life, abortion, whether you are male or female, the family unit. We see in the beginning that God was a family. Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we're going to take a look at. It touches everything, and that is under attack. It's, it, it is not a battle. It is the war because that will define where your mind sits. That will make a definitive path for you. And there's a war to get you on the wrong path. And that war... It can be summed up in this first statement. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Bible wastes no time. The very first sentence, there is no going away from it. The very first sentence basically is one or the other. You believe that or you don't. If you don't believe that, you might as well not read the rest of the Bible. And I mean that legitimately. And I've had conversations with people who... You know, our friends in school call themselves believers, and we debate over this. And I tell them, if you don't believe that, the rest of it is garbage from your perspective. But it's not. You have to set yourself on this, on this first statement. In fact, it is Genesis 1-1 is the biblical cornerstone, okay? It is a biblical cornerstone. So we see that later on, uh, the word God right there, in the beginning, God, it is actually the plural version of God. It is Elohim, and that, mean, that means literally, could be, you could read it as, in the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. Just a few passages later, we see that the Bible says, let us. Who is the us? Well, if you see passages earlier, we see that God's Spirit was hovering over the waters of the face of the deep in the very beginning. So let's turn real quickly to John 1, 1 through 5.
And this is what it says. In the beginning, same beginning, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Quick side note, it's interesting. I tell my students this because I have a whole, I teach light, um, the, the transmission of light. You cannot create darkness. You can only remove light. That is a foundational principle of light. You can create light in the sense that you can make a fire. Okay, I'm not saying you created something from nothing. But you cannot create. If I said, hey, make me a little darkness in this room. You can't do it. All you can do is remove the light. Interesting principle. Uh, but anyway, we see that it's Jesus at the very beginning. He was the Word. And what is that in the Hebrew? Uh, or actually, I think, is it, is it the Greek? It's the Greek. Yes, it's the Greek. Is logos, okay? The definitive article, the logic. Without Him, nothing was made. But He was the Word, the spoken Word. God spoke to His Son. His Son carried it to the Spirit, and the Spirit produced it on the face of the earth. All three working in perfect harmony and family unity. And that's how the earth came to be. The war rages over faith and truth. The battles are fought over facts and evidence. Okay? So, the fossil record, that's a battle. Genetic mutations, that's a battle. Okay? Australopithecus, that's a battle. Those are battles. And we're, we're trying to gain information. We're trying to collect data and, and do some analysis Come up with explanations. The war, don't forget, is God created the heavens and the earth. That is your cornerstone. Let's read. Turn with me to Psalm 2. I love this psalm. It's one of my favorites, so I couldn't help but put it in here. Okay? Psalms 2 says this. Why do the nations rage and plain and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The God who holds the universe in the span that's from my thumb to my pinky, laughs. He could put us in derision in an instant. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and in distress and distress them in his deep pleasure. Displeasure, excuse me. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will decree. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you. The nations are for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in his way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. 
So the, we go back to the war. That's the ending point, ultimately. It's a prophetic psalm. It's obviously talking about what Jesus actually taking ownership as a king on earth. But that's when the war will end in finality. You'll be finished. And who is the finisher? It's Jesus. So questions concerning creation. Why is it written in story form? It's almost written like a once upon a time, right? I mean, it's a historical account. It's also written in poetic form, not poetry in the sense of a fable, but it's written in poetic form. And when that happens in Scripture, God is speaking from His heart to your heart. When He speaks in prose, like, you know, uh, a lot of like Leviticus and Exodus of prose, okay? He's speaking to your mind. He's giving you instruction. But when He speaks in poetry, He's speaking with, with His feelings, with His emotion. Why is it written in story form? Well, that's one of the reasons God is implying His emotion and His passion to you. The second reason, it's understandability. It's written in less than 100 words. And I don't mean 100 words total. I mean less than 100 different words. That's easily understandable by young children to adults. It's easily transferable into any uh, tongue, into any language. God wanted it to be understandable and simple. It's simplicity, I believe this is a reason for it. It's simplicity, simplicity offends human pride. Isaiah 6, 9 says this. And he said, go and tell his, this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. It offends our pride, something so simple, right? God created the heavens. You know, it's like, what? I mean, you look at the, the vastness. It's how can... So... Uh, probably won't have much more time than this, which I didn't want to end on this, but turn with me to Revelation 13. Those of you who know me closely know that I study a lot of eschatology. It's something that's very important to me. I believe we are entering the end of the age, okay? Revelation should be a book that we are in often, okay? And it is not an easy book in the sense that some of the things are hard to understand, but it is an easy book in the message, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ, okay? But I'm going to read from Revelation 13, 11 through 15. Then I saw another beast. This is the false prophet. So the Antichrist has already been revealed, I saw another beast, and this is the false prophet, coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon, and he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly head, who, head wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do 
in the sight of the beast. He was granted to do it. Tell those, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image might both speak and cause many who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. I won't go down now. We obviously know it. it if you've read it, that it goes on to talk about the mark. Okay, and there's, there's debate on whether the elect will be in that time. I personally believe that they do. My goal is not to ruffle your feathers, but my goal is to say this. When your moment of trying comes, <clears throat> you don't have time to go get more oil. It had already be embedded in your heart. Proverbs tells us over and over and over again, write my words on the tablet of your heart. Seal them, bind them, meditate on them. If you don't have this in your time of need, when great, the greatest deception comes, we're going to be struggling. What or who do we worship? Let me tell you right now, with all the science terms, this generation is worshiping science and it's a lie. The science that they're worshiping is a lie. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus needs to be the cornerstone of your heart. And Genesis 1-1 needs to be the cornerstone of your mind. Both have to be in alignment and both are in alignment. And they had better be in alignment when your time of need comes. I talked this week with my boys about the parables of the virgins. By all accounts, they were both sets of believers, but the ones... Okay? who didn't have the oil. They didn't keep on preparing. They both fell asleep, but the ones who had kept on preparing had the oil. And they said, I, okay, give us some of your oil. And they said, There's not enough to go around. I can't give you any of this. This is only gotten in the quiet place. Well, the master, the, the bridegroom tarried, and they lost their way. And then when their time of need came, they didn't have the cornerstones set in place. So it is, it is 12.02. I don't know what slide we're on. Um, but we're going to have to basically turn this into, into two parts. Um, I apologize that we didn't really get into any of the meat of what I wanted to get into. It's just taken longer than I expected. But I wanted to be, I wanted to be honest with the text, with what was said. So we've kind of created a foundation uh, in the next, I think we're probably on like slide six or seven. Like I said, there's 30 slides. So uh, as we get into more of the science part of it, we can move a little bit faster. It's not as hard for me to develop those things. So we will talk about what was the light? Dry land, was it Pangea? What do the statements let the earth bring forth and according to its kind mean? So I'll give you a little bit of, of preview. What is a uh, kind? What about the stars? Light years? They're, and creationists agree that they're, they're measured in millions of light years. Well, how can they be millions of light years, which is really far, and that light gets here if the earth is only 6,000 years old? Life cycles. You ever seen a star born? Nobody has. We've seen them middle age. We've seen them die. Haven't seen them born. Blue stars. We'll talk about that. Edwin Hubble and Albert Einstein couple greats. Was it six literal days or 4.5 billion years? And we'll talk about the fossil record, the amount of time 
what Exodus says about the day. Thorns before Adam, Devonian fossils uh, that are dated 400 million years B.C. that had to come after the fall, and then solo scriptura and hermeneutics, which lean towards a young earth. We'll develop that into evolution, what it is. We'll develop the mechanisms a little bit more. We will look at the records uh, that have real problem, and then we will, we will end evolution by talking about the genetic information technology okay, that has developed in the last 15 years, like I've told you. It's, it, there is no coming back. It is checkmate for evolution. As, as I'm not saying necessarily for the millions of years, that's, you know, like I said, there are some problems with the fossil record, but as far as a spontaneous combustion creating life and that developing into a complexity of life, it's done, okay? And then we'll talk about the implications of Darwin. Some of you may not know his story. Some of you may, may not known of the atrocities committed on earth that are based on his theory, but we'll have to do that another time, okay? So I appreciate your time. Hopefully you come back for the second uh, portion of this, and um, I'm really blessed to have given it. Hopefully I've given you something to think about. Um, don't read ahead. I know we printed off notes, but I tell my students, don't read ahead. There will be a quiz, all right? <laughs> amen and amen. I want to get him back up here as soon as possible because this is so important. When I was a kid, the information out of the textbooks from the 50s uh, said certain types of sexual behavior literally said it was mental illness. Anybody remember that? Anybody my age? That's what the textbook said, and they, so you studied it. And here's why that's important. It was the science. That's why he's talking about they called, and they called it abnormal, and people would be treated for it. Well, as time has gone on, they've changed, and they've changed, and they've changed. And now we've come to a place where, I don't know if you would call it Gideon the science, but when you can't tell the definition or you don't know the difference between a woman and a man, you've got confusion. There is a difference. Does everybody know that? It's a fact. There's women and there's men. And we're created in the image of God. And so what Gideon's saying about everything being determined, if you believe otherwise, you're going to be confused. And if you start experimenting sexually based on what the science is telling you, what the Bible calls sin will destroy your life, and you are betting your life on a lie. And that's why I wanted Gideon to teach this, because it is very important what you base your life on. Someone say amen. amen. Do you know the Bible teaches, and I'm going to get off of this, I promise. The Bible teaches that men, when we grow up, men and women, we leave our mother and our father, and a man cleaves to his wife, and a wife cleaves to her husband. It's the family it's male and female. The Bible says we were created male and female. There is no question about it. There's no science against it. I saw a video, and I'm going to end this. People, literally, they asked, you may have heard of Matt Walsh. You ought to watch his videos. They're they asking uh, psychologists or women, well, what's, 
wants a woman, so the man wants to be a woman. Is he really a woman? Well, yeah, if he says he is, that is, that is absolute ignorance. If he says he is. Folks, that's I- ignorance. And, I, I, you know, I have zero um, uh, hatred in my bones for anybody. I have zero hatred. I, it, but it's ignorance. When you build your house on a lie, you're going to build a house that's going to fall. It will fall. Now, we're to love, the Bible says when people are deceived, we're to love people and try to pull them out of the fire because your house will fall. And it creates mental instability. It creates issues. And it isn't because you don't accept it. That's not the problem. The problem is when you build your house on a lie, it will cave in. Someone say amen. I'm not angry at all, but I am very disturbed because I'm around kids all the time, and I'm very disturbed that the lies that they're building their lives on are destroying them. It bothers me. I'm around cutters. I'm around third graders that are looking at pornography, and it bothers me. Parents taking their kids to drag shows in their like in third third grade. That is so much foolishness. It's foolish. That's why this topic is important. There are, you know, fine points to this. Uh, People argue back and forth. There are fine points. It is a topic you should study. And Gideon will share resources with you when he's done. You can, if you're, some people are very scientific. They need more data. I, I got websites that I listen to. You can get educated more and more about it to get more educated about it. There are some of the finer points that people disagree on things, but I'm telling you, it's absolutely bedrock that we're created male and female in the image of God. Someone say amen. If you, if you shout real loud, I'll stop. Amen. All right, so it just fires me up what it does to people. It hurts people. If you love people, you tell people the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. Lies don't set people free. They bind them up. Sin binds people up. It destroys. If I went out and had an affair, it would destroy my family. And it wouldn't, you know, God wants me to be happy. No, he wants me to be holy. Amen. Holiness will make me happy. It will, too. Oh, praise God, Jesus. I didn't get to preach this week, so I'm... (laughs) I want to hear more again. Anybody else want to hear more about this? You need to hear more about it. We're going to... Have you mob? I may cancel our Father's Day message and just have you finish it next week. You were going to talk anyway. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. This is a very important and powerful topic. And we need to have our house built on truth. Lord, we're, we're not angry at anybody, Lord. We love people. We want people to know the truth because it's the truth that makes us free. We love people. I love kids. And they need a fighting chance. I just pray for Gideon as he prepares his heart to further this message. I pray that we'll have ears to hear it. For some, it's like, yeah, I I know that. But for others, Lord, it's life and death. Help us to be lovers of people, Lord, that we we can speak the truth in love. And, Lord, bless the food as we go out to the um, shelter house. Bless the food, Father, as we eat, Lord. We bless it in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for it. Amen. 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 All right. Good to see you all.